Well, last week we started a two-part message, um, and by the end of the night, you may wish that I broke it up into three, um, but it's going to be good. And so um, last week, I asked a couple questions. One was this, if we could visit our younger selves with a full comprehension of what Jesus came to do for us, wouldn't we choose him sooner? And, and I know for me, I was so hesitant coming into the Christian faith, coming into my walk and pursuing this, because I was utterly convinced that, that Christians did not have fun, that people went to church, were boring, and, um, and just, just hated life and hated everyone that didn't go to church with them. Like, it was just something like somebody had convinced them maybe to accept Jesus, and they were so angry that they just endeavored to take it out on the rest of the world. That was the kind of people I felt like went to church, and, and maybe it was just broken people I encountered early on. But, but once I got past my fear, right, once I stopped convincing myself I was going to miss out on something and leaned in. I discovered that that couldn't be further from the truth, that, that in the church I find more joy, I find better relationships, my life is just better, and, and I wouldn't trade one of these days for 10,000 of the days of my past life, but it, but it took me getting past that fear, that fear of missing out, and then we asked, if we knew then what kind of life he had prepared for us, would we have waited? And I know for me personally, I was hesitant to, to come into the church. I was hesitant to come into my calling. And, and my calling's, you know, ministry. And that's not, maybe not your calling, and that's okay. But I believe that there's a fear sometimes in pursuing not only the church, but the life that God has for us. And as I leaned into it, again, I found a more fulfilling life than I could have imagined, that, that God's done more for me and in me and with me than I ever could have fathomed. And if I'd known then, I wouldn't have waited so dang long, right? I would have, I would have got in and I would have pursued it. But it was a fear of missing out that, that kept me at arm's length from God, that kept me trapped in addiction personally, that kept me stuck in my strongholds and, and these broken cycles because I thought, man, if I give in to that, am I gonna have fun? Am I gonna enjoy life? What, what am I going to do? And it was fear for me. I was so scared to pursue Jesus. I was so scared to buy in. And some of the things I dealt with, is it even real? Is it true? And I want to challenge you. I get this. There may be some of you in this room that, that are on the fence. There may be some of you in this room that are off the fence. And you're like, to heck with all this. It's baloney. I just want to challenge you. Lean in because I was where you're at. Not so long ago, I sat in a seat very much like you. And I was hesitant. I was reluctant. I called crap, and I was wrong. And I want to encourage you to lean in. If that's you, if, if you've been stuck in that fear, begin to pursue him with everything. Don't allow it to keep you from what God's called you to and who he's called you to be. Don't allow fear to keep you stuck in the past, to be stuck in addiction, to be stuck in brokenness. Instead, begin to pursue him with everything that you have. I love this verse from 2 Chronicles 16.9, and it says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that was the truth. And that's what fear kept me from. It kept me from the opportunity to be raised up, to be strengthened. Instead, I got my teeth kicked in for 30 years, wondering why in the world life sucks so bad. And the moment I began to lean in, I found this. And he strengthens those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In every moment, I find myself hesitant. I find myself suffering. Every moment that I ignore his voice, I find myself on the, the wrong side. But every time I lean into him, every time I seek him and pursue him, 
I find something better than I could have found on my own. And so tonight, tonight we're going to continue where we left off last week. We're going to continue looking at what does our lack of commitment cost us? Better yet, who does it keep us from? Because here at Cedar Point Recovery, we believe whatever you're going through, whatever you're recovering from, whether it's lies or, or substance abuse or, or any number of things, whatever you're pursuing, that it's only found with Jesus at the center. That, that we have to begin again to push away that fear, to embrace a relationship with him. And it's through that we find the healing that we long for. We find the love that we long for, the acceptance that we long for. And so tonight, we're going to finish looking at the seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. And I know last week I told you this, but I want to tell you again. John, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, later an apostle. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. And, and he was actually called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And later on, he's known as the apostle of love. But he didn't start off that way. Before he accepted Jesus, before he really leaned in to what God had for him, he was known as a son of thunder. He was, he was short-tempered. He was, he was not connected with God in a significant way. He lacked to experience the call that God placed on his life. But through relationship, through pursuit, his identity was changed. His story was changed. And so tonight, as we finish looking, I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. And again, we're going to be going through the book of John, so I'm going to have you flipping chapters at a time as we look at these statements. But in John chapter 10, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And so last week, we finished with John 7 through 10. And it says this, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. And we looked at how there's a sheepfold. And Jesus is the gate for the sheep, right? The protector. And he goes, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come to me, come in through me, will be saved. They will go, come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. As we continue, we learn that our lack of commitment, though, costs us this, genuine love and a steady hand. Jesus is the gate for the sheep, but in the next verse, he says this, I am the good shepherd. Say good shepherd. Good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And this is to contrast that statement. Listen, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come so that you can have life, have it more abundantly, right? A rich and satisfying life. And I've come to do that because I'm not the thief. I'm not the liar. I'm not the cheat. I don't come with the things of the world. I provide this because I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd provides genuine love, provides a steady hand. You know, when we look at a shepherd, a shepherd cares for the flock. It, it, it's entrusted with, with feeding, watering, guiding, directing, protecting. And so often, our fear, our lack of commitment keeps us from this kind of love. And apart from this, life is chaotic. Apart from this, our relationships are broken and we struggle. I, uh, sometimes I get caught up, I'm sure you guys don't do this, but get caught up in Facebook reels and, and you know, before you know it, you know, um, half your life has passed before your eyes, but sometimes it gives you little golden nuggets. And, and I found one of those, I found one of those this past week that, that really began to reveal 
the good shepherd and, and what our lack of commitment costs us. And so I've got a short video that I want to share with you guys real quick. Anybody relate to that, right? Like God comes at just the right time and says, Aaron, you're a moron. I'm going to get you out of this. And then I just go on about life right back into it. Because of fear, because of lack of commitment, because of stupidity. We find ourselves, we find ourselves far from the good shepherd. The good shepherd, though, in spite of what we've done, comes, gently lifts us out of our own mess, puts us back on the right path. It's up to us to stay on it. But again, fear sometimes causes us to go and to go and to jump right back in. But he'll come if we'll lean into him. And again, lifts us out of our mess with genuine love and a steady hand. And puts us right back on the right path. But again, it's up to us. It's up to us to pursue him. And we get, we get so angry. We get so distracted. We get so full of hate and, and bitterness. We get so full of ourselves. And we despise the life that he's given us. Sometimes we blame God. God, why have you done this? And it's not him that placed us there. It's our fear. It's our lack of commitment because Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd provides genuine love and a steady hand. A good shepherd will feed, water, protect, guard against danger and sometimes we'll allow him guard us from our own stupidity. Again, Jesus is the good shepherd in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Just think about that, that, that God wants us to get it right so badly that, that he, he came in a body. He placed himself in a position to be fragile in an innocent child's life. And raised himself up to adulthood, walked out a perfect life, and willingly went to the cross so that we could experience genuine love and a steady guiding hand because he's the good shepherd, because he loves us, he cares for us. He just wants so badly for us to follow him, wants, us, wants so badly for us to experience all the good things he has from us. Or for us. We have to stop allowing fear, though, to keep us from them. Again, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. And the good shepherd, he provides us genuine love and a steady hand. If you would, as we continue, if you'll turn to John 11. You're in John 10 if you're following along. So you just got to flip the page. Or if you've got the version Bible app, you can just kind of, you know, swipe over to the left. Um, 
kind of like you might do on Tinder, but don't be on Tinder during this service, please. We're on the YouVersion Bible app if you have your phones out. It's a great place to get our notes, right? Not on Tinder, but on the YouVersion Bible app. We provide all, all of our message notes on there, including all of the verses that we use. But as you've swiped over to John 11, John 11 opens up with an incredible story, a story of Lazarus. And so Lazarus, he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Um, Lazarus was a, a friend of Jesus. And theologians believe helped provide for Jesus' ministry in a significant way. And, and, and here, we begin to get this, this picture of distress. Jesus receives a message that, that his good friend, his good friend Lazarus is sick. And it actually says that. Your good friend Lazarus is sick. Come at once. Now, the problem is where Lazarus was, Jesus had been driven out of earlier. And people had attempted to stone him, like kill him, you know. And, and there he receives this message. And so his disciples are a bit hesitant. And Jesus waits, not out of fear, but Jesus waits so that his glory can be seen. And so he actually waits to a period where he knows Lazarus is dead. And then he decides to go. And I think that's interesting, right? That this is... This is Jesus' good friend, and Jesus allows him to go through something so that he could be glorified. And sometimes we're going through things in our lives, maybe self-inflicted, maybe somebody else has inflicted it upon us. And, and we think that because Jesus didn't swoop in immediately, that maybe he's not the good shepherd, that maybe he's not the one that loves and cares for us. And that's because we become self-centered, and we forget the fact that it's not about us, it's about him, but... But he does love and care for us. And so in John 11, in 17 through 22, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, so he'd left where he was at. He went back to Bethany after Lazarus was dead. He was told, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. Say four days. He allowed Lazarus to go through sickness and then remain dead for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people who had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And so she didn't quite understand what Jesus was about to do, right? I mean, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days and, and there's no way that, that Jesus can heal him in her mind. There, there's nothing he can do. And, and sometimes that's what we feel about our own situations, our own struggles, our own brokenness. I've been in addiction too long. There's nothing that Jesus can do. My marriage has been a wreck for too many years. There's nothing that Jesus can do. My, my life has been so screwed up for so long that I know one day I'll be on the other side and everything will be all right. But there's nothing that Jesus can do. But our fear, our lack of commitment, it costs us this resurrection in this life. Say this life. Resurrection in this life and in the next. That, that what Jesus came to do, man, it's all about 
what's next, but it's all about what's right now too, that, that the, the life abundantly that, that we learned about last week, that, that life that's just above and beyond. There, there's an element of that that's for now to be experienced here in these relationships, in these struggles. And we let our fear, our misunderstanding keep us from experiencing this resurrection in this life and in the next. In verse 25, it says, Jesus told her, I am resurrection, say resurrection, resurrection. and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And so he begins to engage her, begins to tell her this, and, and Jesus actually becomes angry. And in his anger, he, he begins to go towards Lazarus' tomb. And, and the mourners, people who were actually paid to, to wail and cry during these times, begin, begin to follow him, thinking, thinking that he's going to weep, that he's going to mourn the loss of his, of his good friend. But as he gets there, since while Jesus was still angry, he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Why? Fear? Lack of understanding? Jesus just said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, right? The resurrection, the life. And, and she, she questioned Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. And, and she knows what she wants, right? There's a desire in her heart to attain it, to experience it. But as Jesus begins to walk it out, as Jesus comes to the tomb, the place of mourning and place of brokenness, she hesitates in fear. But Jesus, what are you doing? Exactly what you want. But, but fear kept her at arm's length. And she protested. So Jesus, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Smell will be terrible. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Because Jesus, he provides resurrection in this life and in the next. That we have heaven to look forward to. But Jesus has come so dead men could come alive. That, that in now, today, in your addiction, in your brokenness, man, Jesus has stepped up. And he said, come alive. Come out. Step into what I have. Stop letting fear keep you from me. Stop letting fear keep you from the call that I've placed on your life. And in this, in the beautiful thing, that miracle is messy. And sometimes we allow messy-looking miracles to keep us from what God's called us to, what he wants us to experience. And, and all his sister could say is, man, he's going to stink. What are, you, what are you doing? And Jesus says, man, I've got, something, I've got something beautiful for you. And he comes out still wrapped in his grave clothes, straight out of the tomb into the resurrection and into the life that God's called him to. So I want to encourage you, don't allow fear to keep you trapped in the tomb. Don't allow fear to allow you to be dead 
when God's called you to life, recognize that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. And so as we continue, we're going to turn to John 14. And so it's just a few more pages, right? It's a few more swipes. And, and John, John 14, we're going to look at this. What does our lack of commitment cost us? The singular, say singular. singular. The singular path to truth and life. The singular path the truth in life. You guys ever heard the statement, my truth? Anybody ever heard that? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, I know I got in trouble for calling people stupid the other day, so I'm not saying you're stupid if you say that. I'm saying it's a stupid comment, right? My kids all the time are like, dad, you always call us stupid. I say, no, no, no. I ask, are you stupid? It's a question. You get to decide whether or not you're actually stupid. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing here right now. Um, and so Jesus is the singular path to truth in life, right? There's no your truth. There's his truth, and then there's a lie, right? And so sometimes, sometimes our fear keeps us trapped in that lie, and we don't experience truth in life. Sometimes our fear keeps us in a place where we've bought into something that's, that's our truth, and, and that's the enemy's way of pulling you away from what's truly true, and what's really alive. And so here in John 14, this is all messing on my face. There we go, maybe. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. And, and in fact, like the last supper has already taken place. And so um, here Jesus is washed feet. He's, he's eaten with them. And Judas is actually left to betray Jesus. And, and he's given his final farewell, right? He, he's explaining to them that, that he's getting ready to leave them, but they don't quite understand. And so in John 14, verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. By what? By the farewell, right? Jesus has made it clear that he's leaving. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And I love that. So he begins to lay this out. And he's like, listen, don't be troubled by this, by this message that I'm leaving you. Because I'm going to prepare something for you. And he ends it with this. Again, and you know where I'm going. And, and this next response, I love it. It's by a guy named Thomas. And we, we call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, but he really stepped up and knocked it out of the park on this one. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. No, we don't know. And I love that because every other disciple in the room, they didn't know either. But they were too afraid to ask, right? And that's just a little side note. But he's like, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going so how can we know the way? We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told them. And I love that because sometimes we don't know where we're going. And you ask your friends, your drinking buddies, your boys, your girls from high school, 
You probably Google it. But the thing that you don't do, ask Jesus and step up and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get there. But if you ask, Jesus says, and he says, Jesus told them, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say no one. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen them. That, that Jesus begins to say that, that, that I am the way, the truth, the life. So as we begin to experience things in a broken world, if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not right. And what we do is we convince ourselves that, that this is true, that this is real. And then we allow fear to keep us from leaning all the way in. And that leads to cherry picking. And we say, these nine things that Jesus wants me to do are okay because they fit into my life currently. But this thing that Jesus wants me to do Eh, I don't know about that. Again, if it doesn't look like Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. If it doesn't resemble the life that he led, the example that he gave, right? Jesus was the visible image of an invisible God. He is truth in life. And so if you're seeking truth, which I hope you are. Why would you want to live in a lie? And if you're seeking life, which again, we've been dead in our sins. We've been dead in, in our trespasses and our brokenness. And I don't know about you. I don't want to experience that. So I'm seeking truth. I'm seeking life. And so I want to seek things that look like Jesus. I want to seek things that, that he said to do, that he's given me examples of, and that he's walked out because that's the singular way. We experience truth in life, and the world's convinced you that it's not true, that you can experience love outside of marriage. That's bullcrap. You've bought into a lie, that somehow you can get joy at the bottom of a bottle. That's a lie. You, you've experienced something that the, the enemies deceived you because there's one way to truth in life, and it has to look like Jesus, or you've bought into something that's false, but our lack of understanding, our fear, keeps us from pursuing and experiencing what he has for us, what he's called us to. And point number three, again, Jesus is the singular, the singular path to truth and to life. So Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And sometimes he answers right in front of us, staring us in the face. He was staring them in the face. They'd been journeying with Jesus for years and didn't fully comprehend, didn't fully understand that he is the way. Let's turn to John 15 as we prepare to close. I know, surprise, fourth point. That's why I said you guys may hate me here in a little bit. I'm trying to move quick. But in John 15, and so in case you're lost, um, it's one chapter forward. I know it's been a very complex night, um, and it's been just all over the place. But so just one chapter forward, John 15, John 15, starting 
in verse 1 is where we're going to be. And the thing that we want to understand is our lack of commitment costs us the source. The source. The source of what? Everything good, pleasing, perfect. The, the source of, of everything that, that our hearts truly desire. And in John 15, 1, Jesus says this, I am the true, say true, the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Now, in, in their culture, their time, a, a grapevine represented, you know, like prosperity, and, and it, it represented like life and health, and, and a single grapevine could support many branches and many clusters of grapes, and bring in a great harvest. And Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. Well, if he's the true grapevine, there must be a false grapevine, right? Where we've bought into something. And that's kind of what we looked at in the previous point, right? That he's the singular path to truth in life, right? And, and so, but aside from him, you can't experience the true grapevine. But he is the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He says, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And I want you to go back. He says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. What branches are those? Those who become indifferent to God's word, to God's call, to God's presence. Those of us that, that maybe were on fire and began to pursue him and then again allowed fear to creep in, allowed desires of the world to creep in. And, and in those moments, we may find ourselves separated from, from Jesus, the true grapevine. It says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. And then he says, remain in me. Say remain in me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. That if we desire Jesus, we just pursue him. There's no picture of rejection. And, and I love that because so much of my life was not defined by any of this. So much of my life was lived in fear, lived in brokenness, experiencing rejection. But Jesus says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. In spite of what you may have done, in spite of who you may have been, in spite of all that, the singular thing we have to do is pursue him and he's there. No rejection, no hesitation. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Say much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's beautiful because I don't know about you, but I thought I had screwed my life up too much. I thought that the things that I did would keep me from the things that my heart desired. And as I remained in him and him and me, as I was connected 
to the true grapevine, God's blessing was abundant. It didn't always look the way that I thought it was going to look, but it's been so much better connected to the source, connected to the true grapevine. He says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said this in in chapter 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Isn't that incredible? Yet we allow fear to convince us that we'll miss out. Yet God's word says you'll do greater works than I if you remain connected to the source. What a lie we've been fed. What a lie that we've bought into that the things outside of Jesus can offer us anything of value. But fear keeps us hesitant. Hesitation keeps us separated. Separation keeps us dead and broken and lost. And all we have to do is wake up. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. With me, you'll do greater works than I have done. What a beautiful message. Our lack of commitment keeps us from the source, from the life, from the joy, from the purpose that God's called us to. And I want to encourage you to push it aside. Begin to commit. Begin to be all in. Get off the fence. Commit to him. We're going to close with one last passage. I'm going to throw you a curveball. It's in Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And again, if you don't want to hop around, version Bible app. Beautiful way to keep up with all the crazy places we go. And it says, since you have been raised to new life. Say new life. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not of the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life, say real life, your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, you will share in all his glory. Stop being deceived by the world. Stop giving in to fear. Begin to experience your real life. Begin to lean into him. Accept all that he has for you. And I guarantee you, you will experience a better life than you ever could have imagined. To recap tonight, point number one is this. Our lack of commitment, it costs us genuine love and a steady hand. The world offers things that are empty abuse, and brokenness. But Jesus provides genuine love and a steady hand. Number two, Jesus, he provides resurrection in this life. Stop allowing yourself to be dead. Jesus came to make dead men alive. He offers resurrection in this life and in the next. Point number three was he is the singular path, the truth in life. Anything you pursue that doesn't look like Jesus is a lie. It cannot satisfy you. It cannot provide for you. 
you will experience nothing but spiritual death in that. He is the singular path to truth and life. And lastly, our lack of commitment, it costs us the source. Jesus is the source for every good and pleasing thing that God has for you. Apart from him, you'll find yourself severed from the true grapevine and dead. Jesus is the source. Our action steps tonight begin to consider the reasons you're fully afraid to commit. Don't lie to yourself. This is a conversation between you and God. What keeps you on the fence? What keeps you hesitant? Why would you not buy into all that God has for you? And number two, address those fears with the reality of who Jesus is and what he came to do in your life. Go through the I am statements of Jesus. Go look up the names that God has given himself. They reveal his character. His character reveals his love for you. Begin to deal with those fears. Begin to deal with that hesitation. Begin to deal with that lack of commitment and begin to lean into him. So everything we talked about tonight, every, <laughs> every statement of Jesus, every I am statement, it reveals a savior, a God who loves you, a God who loves you right where you're at, but it reveals a God that loves you far too much to leave you there, far too much to leave you in that brokenness, to leave you in that mess. Remember, he's the good shepherd. And so tonight as we begin to close, I wanna encourage you to take a step, a leap of faith, if you're in here tonight and, and you've never accepted Jesus, maybe you just realized who he was. It's never been, it's never been explained to you that way. And, and you're in here and, and you've, you've failed to commit, you've failed to accept, and you want to make that decision tonight. Here in just a moment, we're going to have some people come down to the front and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can accept Jesus for the very first time. And they would like to lead you in that prayer, to, to provide you with understanding so you can make the greatest decision of your life. And maybe you're in here and, and you wander. You're like the sheep in the video, like Jesus saved you once, but you put yourself right back in there and you find yourself separated from the vine, but you're ready, right, to pursue him again, to come back to the life he's called you to. If that's you, if you need to recommit tonight, again, we would love to pray with you and for you. And in just a moment, when we close, you can come down front and then maybe, maybe God's just been dealing with something in, in your, your heart, in your life that he's just been dinging you. And you're like, man, I need to give that up, right? It's time. It's time to set it down. If that's you and you're ready to just lay something at the feet of Jesus, I want to encourage you again to, to come down front and get one of our white chips. There's nothing magical or special about them, but when we act in faith, when we, when we pursue him, when we step out of our comfort zone, I believe that God recognizes that and God honors that. And so if there's something you need to set down tonight, I encourage you to come pick up a white chip. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. You're in here tonight and you just need somebody to journey with you and to pray with you. We would love to be those people. And so for any of those things tonight, to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we want to encourage you to step out of your seat, come down front, and join us. If everybody would, as we close, if you would stand to your feet and join us in worship.